Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Well, hi, guys. My name's Russell. I'm an alcoholic. How's everybody doing? Russell! We're gonna have, hey, listen, we're going to have a good time. We're going to have a good time here. We're going to have a good time. I'm not being paid money for this, so don't expect much. You understand what I'm saying? I feel no pressure towards you guys whatsoever. You know, you get what you pay for. So we're going to talk about step four, but I can almost 100% guarantee you it ain't going to be like any step four you've ever heard. I'm not going to tell anybody how to do step four. If yeah, why don't you do this? Just read the book. There's a chart in it. Talk to your sponsor. It's in English. You probably won't understand it the first 200 times because you're an alcoholic and you don't want to do it anyway. But just read the book. It'll tell you how to do it. I'm going to talk about honesty. I'm going to talk through about seeing through a glass darkly. I'm going to talk about an alcoholic having no idea what the hell is going on in his life. Not even a clue. Not even a clue. So let me ask you that. Let me let me read something to you. I actually have this memorized, but I'm going to read it. Driven by a hundred forms of fear, self-delusion, self-seeking, and self-pity, we step on the toes of our fellows and they retaliate. How many people think they know what that means? I don't know. I'm not, I'm not sure. We're going to have a test. We're going to have a test, okay? I'm, I'm going to read something else. It'll contain that. I'm going to read this. Selfishness, self-centeredness, that we think is the root of our troubles, driven by a hundred forms of fear, self-delusion, self-seeking, and self-pity, we step on the toes of our fellows and they retaliate. Sometimes they hurt us seemingly without provocation, but we invariably find that at some time in the past, we have made decisions based on self, which later place us in a position to be hurt. How many people think they know what that means? Listen, let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. This is going you may not understand. Look, first of all, this is my opinion. You don't have to buy into it. I haven't found enough to have a drink in 40 years. And, you know, I've been working this thing. You don't have to buy into anything I said. You don't have to agree with me. You could be wrong if you want to. It's not a big deal. Okay. You know, so here's the deal. How many people do you think it's possible if you're an alcoholic to read something and think you understand it? but not understand it at all. 
Do you think that's possible? You think it's possible that a sponsor or somebody you respect can tell you something and you think you know what they're saying, but you really don't understand it at all? Using English. Has anybody at this meeting ever said to a sponsor or anybody after they tried to tell you something, have you ever used these words? You don't understand. Have you ever tried to convince somebody who has like 25, 30, 40 years, when you come up to them and start sucking your thumb and whining like a crybaby about your life and your problems, and then what they try to do, because they care about you, they try to explain to you what the problem is, and you let, you don't, and, and the first words out of your mouth is you don't understand. Have you ever done that? Hey, listen. Have you ever told somebody that has a lot of sobriety who's trying to help you, you don't understand before they even stop talking, before they even, when the sentence, before they even start talking, you just know they don't understand you. You understand, but they don't understand. You know, when I heard that selfishness, self-centeredness, that's the root of our trouble, driven by a hundred forms of fear, self-delusion, self-seeking. You know, I, you know, my sponsor told me, my sponsor told me that what that meant is I don't give a shit about anybody except myself. And that's the bottom line. I don't care about anybody except myself. And I, I explained to him, he didn't understand. I didn't like that. Uh, so, you know, here's the interesting thing. I, uh, I'm an alcoholic. I am an alcoholic. I am absolutely an alcoholic. So what that means is that I lived the life that's on that that I, that I just read to you. What I just read to you, when I said selfishness, self-centeredness, that we think is the root of our troubles, driven by a hundred forms of self-delusion, self-seeking, self-pity, stepping on to I lived that life. I lived that life for 15 years before I came to AA, and I probably lived that life for a few years quite a few years, to a certain extent, after getting sober in AA. I know what it's like. I know what it's like to live a selfish, self-centered, delusional life. And I'd like to think after 40 years of dealing with mean, abusive sponsors and life, which beats the shit out of you if you don't get this thing, you know what I mean? That I'm living a different life now. Because apparently, the big book says that those who do not recover are people who cannot or will not completely give themselves to this simple program. These are people who are constitutionally incapable of being honest with themselves. And there are such unfortunates. They're not at fault. They're like born that way. They seem to be born that way. So apparently there's a manner of living which demands rigorous honesty. And I want to tell you something else. There is a manner of living that demands absolute dishonesty. There is a manner of living that demands absolute dishonesty. It's very painful. I live that. Even if you're not constitutionally incapable of being honest with yourself, if you're an alcoholic, you're capable 
of actually being dishonest with yourself for years. You're even capable of being dishonest with yourself after you stop drinking because the disease centers in your mind and not your body, which means it's not the booze, which is a symptom of disease. It's the fact that you are insane. And when you're one of the consequences of being insane is your perception is crazy. You think that the world, you think that the world and its people, you react to them a certain way, and you don't understand that you're not seeing the world the way it is at all. You're seeing the world the way you are. And you're like not doing that well which is why you have all these feelings and emotions and why when somebody who's been sober for 20 or 30 years tries to set you on the right course, you say to them, you don't understand. You honestly feel they don't understand because the way you see things, you're a victim. You're a, it's tough being a victim. Man, I'll tell you, you're looking at the, hey, I am like Jesus, man. I am such a martyr. I am a self-pityaholic. Trust me on this deal. So, so here's the great thing about being an alcoholic and being sober for a while. You get, you always get these things. You get these epiphanies, these ideas. You see this. You know, they say they say we get a new perspective by repeated humiliations. Everybody ever heard that? Repeated humiliations. Has anybody here ever been humiliated after coming to AA? Have you ever been humiliated? Have you ever have you ever had to make like a 10 step or an amend step? Or you have you ever had to go up and say, I'm sorry? You, you ever really screwed up? You, you ever say to yourself, oh man, I'm such an asshole. Why the hell did I do that? Why did I say that? You ever drive yourself crazy by the things you did or didn't do or said or didn't say or the stuff and try to figure out what am I going to do? What do they think? You ever go nuts sober because you did stupid shit and you're figuring out what to do and then finally making amends and yet you, you ever do that like a lot? You know, you ever do that? You ever do that? Cassandra, have you ever done that? Have you ever done that? Have you ever, you did that, right? Okay. So, and but here's the deal. Now, I'm sober 40 years. I've had 40 years of screwing up. You understand? I have had 40 years of doing stupid ass things. And, you know, if you're an alcoholic like me, like me, my kind of alcoholic, you don't learn from doing something stupid one time. You don't learn from doing something stupid five times or 25 times. Let me tell you something. You may say to yourself after 25 or 30 or 40 times, I ain't never going to do that again. Trust me, you're going to do it again because you're an alcoholic. You are powerless over being an idiot. You are, if you're an alcoholic, you're a please love me a holic. Why are you treating me this way a holic? I can't believe this has happened to me a holic. You're like, you got so much shit going on. Believe you are so confused if you're not. Now, listen to me. I don't want you guys to feel bad because I'm not talking about you guys because I can tell looking at you, you're like at like a higher level of alcoholic. You know, you're like, you, you, I can tell you guys are like spiritual, not religious. You are like at that spiritual, that pinnacle of wonderfulness. I get that. I'm talking about me. You understand what I'm saying? My problem. Okay. So, so, you know, the first step in getting out of jail, being in bondage to your stupid ass brain and doing dumb ass things is knowing you're in jail in the first place. 
the first step in stopping drinking and being in the jail and being in the jail cell of drinking is knowing that you have a drinking problem in the first place. Stop me if I'm not making any sense because I'm trying to go slow. You know what I mean? I'm trying not to get too fast on this deal. Nico, you understand what I'm saying? You understand this deal? Okay. So, and, and so it usually involves a lot of pain and a lot, of, a lot of unmanageability. So let me tell you what it's like to live an honest life and what it's like to live a dishonest life. And the great thing about being an alcoholic is if you're sober long enough and you look back in the rearview mirror, you see, you, you, you get a story. You know what they say in the video? It says, our stories disclose in a general way what it used to be like, what happened, and what it's like now, right? So the great thing that happens is if you really start getting this thing and change your perspective, you see your entire past differently than you saw it while you were living it. Does that make any sense? And so you look back on things that happened and you look at them differently. So what I'm going to do is I want to take you through what it's, what, what it's like to live a totally dishonest life and what that's all about as an alcoholic and what it's like to live an honest life because you're going to live two lives as an alcoholic. You're going to live a dishonest life and you're going to live an honest life unless you're constitutionally incapable of doing that. And one of the keys to living an honest life is knowing what the problem is, knowing what the jail cell looks like in the first place. And the first step in understanding how crazy you are is the fourth step. The fourth step is a magnifying glass into your insanity. And even then, it gets a little bit clearer when you do the fifth step. And even then, it gets a little bit clearer when you screw up over and over again. And it gets a little bit clearer maybe 20 years down the road. So let me tell you a little story about my life, the tragedy that is my pathetic life, and how this thing works, okay? So I met a girl when I was around 23, 24, and I, I fell in love because... I was always falling in love or in lust or so I'm not even sure what it was, but I was, you know, I, 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 uh, I did one of these things. If I could only have this girl, my life would be perfect. It's like, if I only had this car, my life would be perfect. If I only had this job, my life would be, alcoholics have these brainstorms. If I only had this, if I only had that, if I only was a lawyer, everything would be okay. So I, I, I saw this girl. I said, if I could only have this gal, everything would be wonderful. And so I fell in love with her because, which is, I'm not even sure what alchemy love is. I'm still working on that. It has something to do with attraction, sex, and feeling that if I have somebody, I won't be such an asshole. Do you understand what I'm saying? I'm not quite sure. I haven't figured it out. I think I'm going to turn to you guys to tell me what that's all about. But I needed, I was Joan, you know what the word jonesing is? I was like Joan, you know, like if you're in heroin, I was jonesing for this woman. So I did, I believe me, I, 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 I wanted what she had and I was willing to go to any length to get it. Okay. And so, so I went after her and I, I wowed her parents and I married her and we got married and we moved into a nice house on Miami beach on the golf course. I got a job with the state attorney's office happily ever after had a son and everything like that. And, uh, and I used to go out and every day after work, I would go to the bar 
at 4.30 or 4 o'clock in the afternoon, the Alibi Lounge, which I helped name, by the way. And I would drink from 4.30 in the afternoon to 4.30 in the morning with a bunch of homicide guys and stuff like that. And I did that almost every day while she was at home with the baby. And I did that almost every day or a lot of times for four years, four or five years. And uh, my wife uh, apparently was not really like a codependent, you know what I mean? So she actually put up with this shit for four years. And she would, and I would invite her. Let me tell you something, I'm a nice guy. I mean, I don't understand, uh, I'm not selfish. I'm not self-centered, you know? I don't, I, I'm not delusional. Many times I would invite my wife to come to my bar and drink with my friends. And my drinking buddies were the greatest guys in the world. Let me tell you something, these were people that really understood me. These were people, they understood me you know something? They talk like me. They thought like me. We laugh together. I really like these guys and these people, you know? And, and I would invite my wife. It's like an honor to, to drink with me with those guys. And she, she said to me, I'm not going to hang out with those bums you hang out with. Now, let me explain something to you. My wife, Knew I drank. I mean, we court, I courted her for like a year and a half. She knew I was a drinker and I liked doing that stuff, you know? And she kept on trying to change me. And what happened was I'd be sitting in that bar for 12 hours while she's at home with the baby waiting dinner and stuff like that. And I'm not going to go into the gory details, but, but, and I can't go into the gory details. You know what? Because I wasn't interested in the details because I really didn't give a crap about what was going on with her, you know, and I didn't even think about that. I was just having a good time. And uh, what happened was um, one day, one Friday, and, and what I do is I'd sit in the bar and I'd look at the women on the dance floor. And there's a lot of single guys and I was married. And, and I never cheated on my wife, never physically cheated on my wife. But I used to sit there and drink and say things in my mind like, if I only wasn't married, if I only could have that gal, if I could only have that redhead, if I only had that blonde, if I only had that brunette, everything would be wonderful. Because after around six months or a year or a year and a half of being married, um, I don't know what happened. I Whatever it was that she had that made me feel like if I could have her, I'd be okay. I wasn't okay. I wasn't, in other words, whatever magic she had that made me feel good, she had lost it. It's like, it's like the best thing I can, the best way I can explain it, it's like when you buy a brand new car and, and you, you, you drive the car and you like the car. And then after six months, it's like an old car. It's like a used car. You know what I mean? And so you need to get another car. So that's the, uh, that's that sort of like describes a little bit what I mean by when I say love. Oh, I love that car. You know what I mean? But I'll trade that sucker in after six months. You know what I mean? 
So I'm looking to get out of the marriage, but I don't know how to get out of the marriage. And I didn't cheat. And I felt good. So, so what happened was one day she said to me, if you come home drunk one more time, I'm leaving you. And there's a line in the big, in the 12 and 12 says, unless and until an alcoholic accepts his alcoholism and all its consequences, his sobriety will be precarious and of true happiness, he'll find none at all. And, and as I drove away from the house, with that statement in my mind, if you come home drunk one more time, I'm leaving you. I stopped at a red line and I remember saying to myself, these words, what the hell did she mean by that? And what I now know looking back, I didn't know about it then, is that when an alcoholic like me with my kind of mind hears something or is told something he doesn't like, it confuses him. It doesn't matter that it's only 12 words. It doesn't matter that it's a simple statement, that there's very few syllables. It doesn't matter that you have a law degree. It just confuses you. And sometimes it pisses you off. You know what I mean? So I went to the bar. I told my friend, I have to get home because Ronnie says, if I come on drone more time, I'm leaving you. And he said, oh, you're a great guy. She loves you. And I said, yeah, I know, blah, blah, blah. And I had a drink, then another drink. And I got home at 4.30 and she kicked me out of the house. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Kick me out of the house, okay? And file for divorce. And, you know, and she... She said, I want to go to a marriage counselor to try to save the marriage. And meanwhile, I'm already, I'm already making plans to date the redhead. You understand what I'm saying? I'm like, I'm like hitting the bricks. And as I'm hitting the bricks, because she kicked me out, you know, I'm like actually happy as a clam because I'm finally free. You see, I didn't have the guts. By the way, I'm telling you something now that I learned after 10 or 20 years and a million steps and everything like that, I did not have the courage to say to my wife, the mother of my child, I wanted to, I didn't have the courage to do that. But when she kicked me out, you know, when it was her fault, because she kicked me out, I was like free. And so I went to see the marriage counselor because who knows why I didn't want to feel guilty. And the marriage counselor starts talking to my wife and says, what are the three things you want to change about Russell? Now, I'm not even listening. I think one of the things she mentioned was to come home for dinner or something. Like, I'm not sure because I'm thinking to myself, I got a date with this redhead tonight. And they're trying to get me back into the cage. You know what I mean? And I don't want to go back in the cage. So when he turned to me and said, what do you want to change about Ronnie? I said, I just want to date other women. And I know you're not going to believe this. That was the end of the session with the marriage counselor. I had sabotaged the session with the marriage counselor. And, uh, and that was it. And I got divorced and everything like that. And that's the end of my marriage, five-year marriage, okay? Lost everything. Everything that should have been important to me. My wife, my house, son, everything. Lost it all. 
continued on my merry way to become the Hugh Hefner of Miami or whatever it is I was on my mind, okay? If you had asked me, I swear this is true. If you had asked me why I was divorcing my wife, I would have told you this. She kicked me out of the house. We were growing in different directions. We really got married too young. We were after different things and she was trying to change me. And I would have believed that. I would have believed that that's why we got a divorce because she was trying to change me. We were going in different directions. You know what I mean? She knew what I was beforehand and she tried to change me and she kicked me out of the house. I, I, I absolutely believe that's why, because we, we weren't ready for marriage. We were too young. You understand? you understand? I believe that. That's my Alki story. That's my, that's my story. That's the story I believe that 25 years old. That's the story I believe that 26 years old, 27 years old, 28 years old, 29 years old. 30 years old, 31 years old. That's my story about my marriage and that woman. Now, years down the road, there's a different story. Here's my story. I married a, a lovely girl. She was very, very sweet. And I was pretty much a selfish, self-centered asshole. I didn't give a shit about anybody except myself. And that's the bottom line. And I married her because some sort of urge or something like that, but I was immature and I was dishonest. And I wanted to cheat on her. And so what I did was I, I, what I wanted to cheat on her and what I would do is I would leave her alone for years at a time, not really being part of the marriage, treating her like crap and finally driving her to the point where she had to kick me out. And then when she tried to go to a marriage counselor to see what she could make it work, I sabotaged the whole thing. And I ripped her heart out and said, I wanted to date other people. And the reason I got divorced is because I'm a selfish, self-centered pig. And I don't care about anybody except myself. Now, let me tell you something. That is actually a different story than the first story. You understand? But here's the deal. When I was living my life with the first story, I was lonely. I was restless. I was filled with self-pity and I was and I was selfish and I was a sick guy. When I understood the second story and I lived myself the second story, I'm a completely different individual. I'm completely different. In a sense, it is, doesn't give me any pleasure to say the second story. I know what it makes me look like. I see the women in the meeting when they cringe and they'd like to shoot me or something. I get that. Okay. But I need to, I need to talk about the second story for a bunch of reasons. Number one, I need to understand that that's where alcoholism took me. That's the person I was. That's what this disease looks like. That's what, that is what selfishness and self-centeredness looks like in me, that I'm not a nice guy. I'm not 
a, just a nice guy, but I had a drinking problem. I don't need alcohol to be an asshole. Most of the things I did to my first wife and ignoring her and hurting her feelings, I did a cold stone sober. And that's what I could turn into at the drop of a hat. And it also tells me and makes me grateful about what God can do for a selfish son of a bitch like me, what he can turn me into if I just focus on him. But let me tell you something. You don't get from story one to story two. You understand what I'm saying? Just by sitting in a closet and thinking and talking to your friends at the bar. You understand? Now, you may get to story two to a certain extent. It may be helpful to listen to people at meetings. There may be somebody here who went through a similar sort of divorce, maybe listening to me and may say, oh man, that's what happened to my marriage. That's what happened to my deal. You know what I mean? I don't know. That may be helpful. But the real key to be able to get a mirror into your soul and see what it means when you read that paragraph, selfishness, self-centeredness, driven, there, you, know, you can't get out of jail until you know you're in jail in the first place. The, in, in order to really see where you are selfish, where this disease is, has you in bondage, where it's just you just can't get out and where you're hurting, you know, you, you need to do more than just listen to people or talk to your sponsor. And one of the things I had to do is I had to do a fourth step and I had to put my wife on that. Now, now you know what alcoholics like to do? Here's what they like to do. They like to say, I don't need to make a list. I know what my pride. No, you don't. Because you're like me. You're, you're, you're delusional. You're a rationalizer. You tell yourself rational lies. No matter what you tell yourself, you know, at the, after you're done telling, you're, you're, you're already trying to say, well, I'm not that bad, or you don't understand, or my story is different, and you don't understand that, you know, what happened. You don't have all the pieces. I want to somehow make things up or lie to myself or justify, I am an, if you're an alcoholic, I am an excuseaholic. I can make up excuses at the drop of a hat. I got so many good reasons as to why I do the things I do. My sponsor once said, Russell, why do you say the things you say and do the things you do, sober? And I said, well, that's just my personality. He said, Russ, your personality is killing you. I know how to stop drinking. How do I get rid of my personality? How do I get rid of that deal, which I think is cute? You know what I mean? I think it's nice. I think it's funny. You know what I mean? And it's not, you know, it's just not that deal. You know, so so that fourth step was important to me, the fourth step and the fifth step and the going through life and all the, the vagaries of life and the 10th step as you go along, as you're refining the fourth, as you're constantly looking into your selfishness, as you're constantly looking into your self-centeredness. As you're constantly looking into where you're going wrong, as you're constantly seeing these things over and over again, which, by the way, not to bring up the God thing, I think I ought to, are things that block you from the power, from the sunshine of the spirit, block you from God's grace, keeps you in everlasting misery. I mean, you like feeling sorry for yourself. You like thinking about why are they treating me this way? You like saying to yourself, you know, I'm a loser. I might as well kill myself. This thing ain't working for me. You like being discouraged all the time. 
You like it three weeks being discouraged. You like it three years being discouraged. You like it 10 years, you know, doing this thing really hard, realizing you're not getting anywhere and being discouraged. You, you like being discouraged. You like living that life. You like not being rocking in the fourth dimension of existence. You like a thousand forms of fear. You like a thousand forms of fear, a hundred forms of fear. You like being afraid. You like being nervous. You like being anxious. You like, you like having people rent-free in your head all the time. You like that, huh? You like, what would happen? Oh my God, you probably don't, you may not even know what it's like not to be worried about what people think about you. Oh man, I thought that would never go away. God, I thought that would never go away. Man, does that hang on? What do they think about me? Why did I say that at that meeting? You know, I should have said this. I should have said that. Why did this happen? What are they thinking about? me? What did she mean by that? What did he mean by that? Why aren't they calling me? I'll bet they're not calling me because of this. Why aren't they not choosing? Man, man, that worrying about what people think about you, actually thinking that they're thinking about you. Oh my God. How do you get rid of that bullshit? Man, you talk about alcoholism. You talk about this. That's the real disease. How do you get rid of that stuff? My sponsor, and I, I now do the same thing with people I sponsor. I do it with any people, you know. Uh, now understanding. One of, the under, one of the things that gave me, you know, when working with people and doing this stuff, is a clearer understanding of how sick we are. I don't know, what the, you know, some people in AA, I know you'll find this hard to believe, but I, I, I never really had a big problem with people telling me I was stupid and insane. I mean, I don't know how to explain it to you. It never really, maybe because I was beaten down so low and I needed AA so much that when my sponsor said to me, you, you know as much about life as a dog knows about his father. Why don't you just shut up and listen? Why don't you just, you know, your best thinking or your best they got me in. I mean, listen, I graduated from Lawners in mathematics. I was going for my PhD in, in mathematics. I went to law school, graduated. Yeah, I, I had all these accolades behind me. And I'm sitting there and some guy who didn't even graduate the sixth grade is telling me I'm stupid. You know, and I got to tell you something. I had gotten to some point in my life where I was so happy somebody was telling me I was stupid and telling me what to do. I, I mean, I'm telling you, I followed this guy like, like a puppy dog because I was not fit for life. But I learned, I, I learned that various, you know, when, when we were doing the second step, what is it, came to believe that God restores to sanity? Sometimes I do that second step. A lot of people think that have to, those has to do with open-mindedness. And, uh, but every once in a while I go to a meeting on the second step and people would talk about being insane. And there were actually people in AA that got offended, got offended because somebody said they were insane. I couldn't, I could never understood them. I could never understand them. Because I knew I was insane. I, I, nobody had to tell me I was, as a matter of fact, I was happy that they had finally figured out what the problem is. I'm crazy. I'm insane. I luxuriate in being crazy. You know what I mean? I, let me tell you something. Crazy is my deal. You know, I didn't mind the crazy thing. Didn't bother me at all because the, the proof was in the pudding. My life was insane. I was in, so what, what my sponsor used to make very, very clear to me is that don't think and go to meetings. Don't drink and go to meetings. Every time I would start talking to him about what I was thinking about, he already knew what the problem was. 
You know, anything to stop me from thinking or distract me or saying the serenity prayer, whatever it is my thinking. So often I'll say to sponsees, I'll say something like this. I say, because they'll have problems. Sponsees have problems. They have serious problems. They'll come up to me and I'll say, let me ask you something. I said, I said, now you got like three months and I got 40 years. So we can use your brain on this or we can use my brain on this. Which one do you want to use? And invariably, they somehow come up with the right answer. They, when you put it to them, they say, I'd rather use your brain. And I said, well, don't worry about it. Everything's going to be okay. Stop thinking about it. Help them do this, do that. The, cra the craziness is within the brain. It's, it centers in your mind, not your body. But until you start acknowledging all the ways you screwed up in your life and the people you hurt and, what, and the reality of what actually happened when you walked out on your wife, when you walked out on your son, when you walked out in that job, when you disappointed all those people, until you stop lying to yourself with your stupid ass story, well, we were just growing apart. We were different people. We got married too young. Until you start lying to yourself about how honest you are because you're cash register honest, because you won't steal money, but I'll tell you what, You'll cheat on your wife. You'll divorce her. You'll do a hell of a lot of other things until you start lying to yourself about what a good guy you are. Look, I hate to say this. I know I'm going to hurt somebody's feelings. I understand telling alcoholics you're not a bad person trying to get good. You're a sick person trying to get well. I understand that. I understand that. I think there's a little bullshit there. I was a bad person. I, let, let me tell you something. At 40 years sobriety, you know what I can say to myself? And I can actually hold on to it and I have no problem. I was one evil son of a bitch. You know, it may have something to do with my sickness, my, but I did bad things to good people and I hurt them and I didn't give a shit. You understand what I'm saying? Now, you want to say, well, I'm just a sick person. Again. I don't care what you want to say on that deal. But I want to tell you something. Somehow, for me, they say somewhere in the seventh step that humility is an absolute necessity unless you acquire more of that deal, that humility deal, you don't stand a good chance of becoming truly happy. Now, I'm not, I don't know what humility is because I don't have it, but, but I'll tell you this. I think, you, I, I think understanding that you're an evil son of a bitch and you're a bad person, you did some bad things to a lot of people. You know what I mean? You hurt a lot of people. I think it's humbling. I may be wrong about that. You know, I may be wrong about that. I understand we're sensitive and you don't want to say, you know, let me tell you something. A lot of times that I do what I do as a sponsor, I owe it to sponsees is when they come up to me and they're all pissed off at their ex-wife and they're all pissed off at this one. And they're telling me, she's not letting me see my kid and she's not doing this and she's a bitch and everything like that. I say, yeah, when was the last child support you paid? And he says, well, that has nothing to do with it. That has nothing to do with it. I said, listen, you know that little child of yours? You know, whether you, let me say, he doesn't give a crap what you think. What he cares about is whether there's milk in the refrigerator, right? That little kid has to be fed every day, right? He says, yeah. He says, so mommy has to go out and buy the milk, right? He says, yeah. And you're not buying the milk, are you? 
You're just sitting around thinking about how sorry you are because she's not letting you see your kid. I'll tell you what you do. You write a letter and I don't care how much you put in there. You apologize and you put in a $50 check. Don't say I'm going to pay you. Put in the damn check and you send it to it or you deliver it to it and you tell I'm going to do this every week and I'm going to try to get you more and you see what happens. And then three weeks later, they come back and say, she's letting me see my kid. Don't give me the bullshit. I don't want to hear the bullshit about your whining, crying little stuff. You know, I want to I want to deal with the truth. I don't want to deal with your bullshit. You know what I mean? And so uh, I don't know. Maybe I'm tougher than some. I don't know. I just can't handle. I am a bullshit artist. I am an evil son of a bitch. I am selfish. I am self-centered. You know what I mean? I'm not going to sign on to any, uh, endorse any bullshit. And that's what the fourth step is all about. That's what the 10th step is all about. Whenever we're disturbed, no matter what the cause, there's something wrong with me. There's something selfish about me. So if you find yourself disturbed a lot, you got a lot of shit wrong with you. You got to look into it. You got to look. That's a good thing when you're disturbed. You know, it's a, you know, it's a bad thing when you're doing bad shit and you're never disturbed. When you're doing, hey, you're going to run to some people in AA that they're doing bad stuff and it doesn't bother them. Or if it bothers them, they're so used to living a a life of bother, you know what I mean, that it doesn't even register in them. They're not doing the deal. You understand what I'm saying? So you want to be free. You want to know the new freedom and the new happiness. You want to be rocking the fourth dimension existence. You want to get used to doing this four-step inventory thing. Go to the book. They have a chart. There's four lists, by the way. That's I'm not going to give you any more hints on this. There's four lists in the book. You'd see it says, get it all down on paper. The fears, the sacks, the whole bit. Where were you wrong? It's not your fault. The resentment. There's actually four lists. And the thing, it tells you how to look at it. So that's all I have. That's it from me.